and welcome to American Catholic History, brought to you by the support of listeners like you. If you value this content and wish to see it continue, become a supporter at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. As usual, we start with a word of thanks for our supporters. Thank you, everyone who has supported our work. Thank you, everyone who has left us those reviews and and um, comments. And given us five-star ratings. Uh, yes, all of it. All of it is helping our work to spread, to let other people know about us. And to us, that's the most important thing is to get more people to... Yeah love and value American Catholic history. And the notes from teachers and others who are who just let us know how they they've been helped in their faith. That's those are really wonderful to receive also. So And how they're sharing the yeah. uh, sharing the podcast with their students. Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you for those as well. Uh, we, we are about 34% of the way to the amount of support we need to make this a sustainable project. So if you've enjoyed these episodes, if you've learned something, if you've been inspired or edified or helped in your faith, or if you, you know, you're sharing with other people, uh, please, please consider becoming a supporter. You can learn about our support tiers at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. The lowest tier is just $5 a month, just $5. For more each month, well, We've got extra perks. Yeah, the $15 level seems to be where most people are gathering, though we've had a number of very generous supporters come in at higher levels. The $15 level gets you a supporter's mug and a lovely sticker. If we were doing video right now, we've talked about doing video, but we don't really have the resources to do it. But if we did, we would you know, be doing one of those Vanna White things. With yeah, the with sticker. your hands. Yes. <laughs> levels higher than that will get you the mug and the sticker and more books, things like that. Yeah. Check out all the levels at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. Yep. And that said, on with the show. Today, we're talking about Father Henry Durankat, SJ. He is known by the dramatic title of the Apostle of the Tombs. Yeah, that is a dramatic title. It brings images of like preaching among great monuments in some ancient cemetery or down in the catacombs, but that's not quite it. (laughs) No. The Tombs, in this case, is the nickname for the main prison in New York City. And for 25 years during the 19th century, Father Henry Durankat ministered in that and other prisons of New York. By some accounts, he brought thousands of criminals to Christ while they were incarcerated, including many who faced a death sentence. And there are some notorious cases here. We'll talk about one of the most well-known and sensational. His story, his patience, makes me think of the poem The Hound of Heaven by the English mystic and poet Francis Thompson. If you're not familiar with that poem, I recommend it for meditation. It's, it's long, 182 lines, and it takes some concentration, but it is brilliant and lovely. And as I say, what it speaks to about God just seems to fit with the work of Father Henry Duranquette. So let's tell the listeners about this hound of heaven who haunted the tombs. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Henry Durancat was born in Claremont, France on December 18th, 1809. He had many siblings and his parents were devout Catholics. A number of Henry's sisters became nuns. Henry and four of his brothers entered the Jesuits and became priests. And all five left France for foreign missions. Three went to the island of Majora to evangelize the natives, and all three eventually died of cholera. Henry and his younger brother Dominic both crossed to the Atlantic to be missionaries in America. Dominic ministered to the natives in Canada near the Great Lakes, and Henry, whom we are discussing, came to the United States. 
So it's safe to say that Madame and Monsieur Durancat did a few things right raising their children in the faith. Yeah, I'd say. Henry's frail health delayed his entrance into the Society of Jesus, but in 1836 he was accepted and was sent to New Orleans for his novitiate. It was here that he completed his novitiate, took his vows, and was ordained. From 1837 through 1847, he taught grammar at the college in Grand Coteau, Louisiana. In 1847, he was transferred to Fordham near New York City to teach mathematics at St. John's College. Then he was given five years in Montreal where he taught. And then, in 1856, he finally returned to New York, where he, yes, taught for two more years before finally beginning his work as a missionary to prisoners. And this is where his life work really kicked off. Yes, the Jesuits had begun ministering in the prisons and other public institutions, asylums, sanitariums, probably orphanages, things like that. But that work was just something they did on the side. Their main work was in teaching and parish work. They weren't the main chaplains to the institutions. This changed in 1860, the year the Civil War broke out, incidentally. Yes, Father Duranquette was speaking with the local superior of the Jesuits, Father Rémy-Joseph Tellier. Father Tellier voiced a desire that the Jesuits had some dedicated work apart from teaching and parishes. So Father Duranquette suggested that the archbishop might be willing to make them permanent chaplains to the prisons. Father Tellier liked that idea and agreed that Father Duranquette should ask the archbishop. The archbishop at the time was the great John Hughes. We've talked a lot about him, but again, another figure we haven't actually done a specific episode about. Well, yeah, he's a very complex character, easily one of the top three most significant men in the church in America in the 19th century. And I can't think of many who have surpassed him for, for sheer impact even since then. There's just a lot going on with him, so his story will take time to pull it all together and get it right. And that'll be a fun one whenever it happens. Oh, yeah. But in, in this appearance of Dagger John, he's concerned for the spiritual welfare of prisoners in New York's many prisons. His interest may well have been because of just how many Irish uh, there who were baptized Catholics. Yeah, in those days, the prison population was significantly Irish Catholic. They didn't call the prisoner transport vans paddy wagons for nothing. So while Archbishop Hughes was a champion of all those who needed a hand up, he came from poverty himself, it happened that the majority of those who needed aid in the prisons were from among his flock. So, as Father Jorinkat tells the story, he had an audience with Archbishop Hughes concerning some other matter of ministry. Hughes wasn't keen on the proposal Father had come with, but of his own accord, Hughes proposed that the Jesuits take on Blackwell's Island, one of the prison islands. Naturally, Father Durinquette, or Father D, as Archbishop Hughes called him, says he would present this proposal to his superior, Father Tellier. But all of it was just formality at this point. Now, I wonder if a word had gotten to the Archbishop through other channels that the Jesuits were interested in that mission, or if, you know, guardian angels had a conversation and whispered the thought into all three men's ears at the same time. As we know, God can work things together however he sees fit. Oh, yeah. But either way, the arrangement was completed. The Jesuits were officially charged with being Catholic chaplains to the city's prison. Father Duanquette was among those Jesuits who took on this work as his primary duty. In 1864, he was made the primary chaplain to Blackwell's Island. Then in 1871, Hart's Island was added to his roster, and the following year he was given charge of the notorious prison that earned him his nickname, The Tombs. 
The reason he was made chaplain for all of these prisons was just how good he was at it. He had such an incredible patience, and he knew that when he entered those rooms with those men who were any combination of broken, angry, confused, despairing, desperate, he came in with the message of Christ crucified. Very St. Paul preaching Christ and him crucified. Yeah, and not just that, but approaching each soul with the patience and attention that that soul required in that moment. Well, one prime example, perhaps the prime example for Father Durankat's career was the reconversion of Albert Hicks. Yes, and what a case. Yes, goodness. Hicks was in many ways the antithesis of Father Durankat. Yeah, like Father Durankat, he was from a large Catholic family with lots of brothers. Like Father Duranquet, he was one of the younger children. Like Father Duranquet, he left home in his teens to make his mark in the world. And, like Father Duranquet, he had older siblings who pursued a career similar to his own. In Father Duranquet's case, that meant older siblings who became religious missionaries. In Hicks's case, that means two older brothers who were also criminals, with one of them being convicted of murder. Hicks wasn't just convicted of murder. He was among the most notorious murderers, gangsters, and criminals of his day. By his own account, he killed 100 people and robbed countless more. He had murdered gold prospectors in the California gold fields for their, well, for their gold. He had raided sea vessels and fomented mutinies on the high sea. On land, he was a prolific highwayman. He was an international man of thieving, mayhem, and murder. The spectacular murders which finally brought him down were aboard a small sailing vessel which was sailing to Virginia from New York to buy oysters. So naturally, it had a lot of cash aboard to make the purchase. As it was passing through the narrows between Staten Island and Brooklyn, he went into action. One by one, he killed the other three members of the crew with an axe, stole their possessions, and gathered the $230 intended for buying oysters. He tried to sink the vessel before rowing away in a smaller rowboat, but the ship did not sink. It was found with the gruesome remnants of the murders. A few days later, Hicks was tracked down in a boarding house in Rhode Island. He was arrested and brought back to New York City. At his trial, the jury deliberated for about seven minutes before returning a verdict of guilty. The judge sentenced him to death by hanging, and the date was set for Friday, July 13, 1860. Well, while Hicks was in prison, the priest working at that prison was Father Durankat. And Father Durankat wasn't impressed or scared off by Hicks's notoriety and evil deeds. In fact, Father Durankat went to him as he did every other prisoner. Hicks told Father Durankat that his deeds had been influenced by Satan himself since his teens. He told Father Durankat that it was too late for him. Father Durankat naturally said hogwash. Okay, maybe he didn't use that word. But he said, it is never too late, as long as you are living. You need only to open your heart and accept Jesus Christ. Well, it seemed to have struck a chord. The guards at the prison noted a change in Hicks's behavior after Father D started working with him. They noted that he wasn't as nihilistic. They recorded that he showed remorse for his crimes. And on that Friday the 13th in 1860, when Albert Hicks went to the gallows, Father Durankat accompanied him all the way. Hicks's hanging was one of the last public hangings in New York, and it was a spectacle. The scaffold was erected in a public place on what was then known as Bedloe's Island. Bedloe's Island, of course, is now known as Liberty Island, and it is where the Statue of Liberty stands. So there's an interesting juxtaposition there. Yeah, really. 
So more than 12,000 people came out to watch the hanging. Many of them were actually on boats. They had paid specially to have a space on a ship that had anchored, went out and anchored in New York Harbor just to watch the spectacle. All of those people came out to see the notorious murder executed. Father Jaron Kett was there to see another soul that was snatched from the jaws of Satan. The Hicks case was perhaps the most spectacular of his saved souls, but by no means was he the last murderer or death row inmate whom Father D helped. During his 25 years working in the tombs and New York's other prisons, Father Durankat had hundreds, some say thousands, of encounters that resulted in similar fashion. Yes, what they had done didn't matter. Who they were mattered. And who were they? Children of God, whose souls were in peril. He loved them and was Christ to them. He went into their dark places peacefully, relentlessly, simply, and invited them to come out to the light. Now, something we haven't mentioned yet. Remember his ministry started in the 1850s. Our regular listeners will remember that the 1850s were the heyday of the know-nothings. Anti-Catholicism was common and powerful. Archbishop Hughes had done a lot to combat the institutional anti-Catholicism in New York, and he wasn't adverse to outright threats of defensive or reactive violence to prevent his cathedral from being burned down. But the bigotry hadn't been tamped down everywhere. In the prison system, for instance, Father D had to overcome resistance and skepticism from the leadership of the prison system, the wardens, the guards, and especially the doctors. But over time, with his patience and kindness, he broke down those barriers too. And after all that, he persisted in this ministry for 25 years. He ministered to untold thousands of souls, helped every man who went to the scaffold in those days, and generally led souls to God. But his ways were puzzling to some. Right. Younger priests, doctors, and others often thought his ways were too slow and ineffectual. Yeah, mind you, Father Duranquette was in his 50s when he really established himself in prison ministry back in about 1860. He had a decent life experience about what worked and what didn't. And it's clear that he knew what he was doing. Eventually, his stature grew to the point where he was one of the most trusted and important people within the prison system. His word was trusted above all others, and his counsel sought. No Catholic priest held the same stature that he earned. And this is why he makes me think of Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. The chorus, if you will, of that long poem just makes me think of how he worked. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beats more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. We'll include a link to the full poem. Like, like I said before, it's 182 lines on our episode page at AmericanCatholicHistory.org. But you know, now that I've recited the chorus, I kind of have to recite the full first section. <laughs> I had no doubt. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> of course I do. Yeah. Okay, so The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. I fled him down the nights, down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears I hid from him, and under running laughter, up vistaed hopes I sped, and shot, precipitated, <clears throat> adown titanic glooms of chasmid fears, from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase, and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. 
I highly recommend checking checking out there, checking out the Hound of Heaven as a meditation before the Blessed Sacrament or just sitting quietly at home. It is a tour de force. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Thompson looks at a number of different ways we run away from God and seek comfort in other places. And in the poem, he paints a picture of how none of these created things can really satisfy the desire in our heart for God. And the image he uses for how God continues to pursue us in spite of our best efforts to run away is a hound. Yes, a hound that will sniff us out and find us no matter where we go. It's up to us to turn around and run to God for comfort and fulfillment rather than to his created things. Anyhow, we're getting a bit far afield. Yeah. I was about to go into Augustine, but we won't do that. So back to Father Duranquette. He remained chaplain to the tombs, Blackwell's Island, Hart's Island, and the other New York City prison institutions until 1887. Many other assistants of more robust health came to help, but they just couldn't handle the strain. Father's gentle, persistent way carried on through the years. In 1887, when he was 79 years old, the Jesuits reassigned him to be spiritual guide at their establishment in Worcester, Massachusetts, across Lake Quinsigamon from where I grew up in Shrewsbury. Yeah, Father D was almost certainly sad to leave his beloved prison post after so many years, but he was obedient. He believed he would die in Worcester, and he even picked out a burial plot. But he didn't stay there. After just a short time, another death within the Jesuit community prompted the Jesuits to move him one last time, this time to Maryland. The spiritual director at their college at Woodstock, Maryland, just west of Baltimore, had died, and Father Duranquette was tapped to take that role. He served for a short time before his own health failed, and he was removed from all active ministry. He spent his remaining time reading the lives of the saints and conversing amiably with all who visited. Finally, eternal rest came for Father Henry Durankat, the Apostle to the Tombs, December 30th, 1891. He was 82. His memory, while somewhat obscure, is held in high regard for those who learn about him. And with the number of souls he snatched from the jaws of hell, and with his life of self-sacrifice, we may hope that Father Durankat himself is among the choirs of saints in heaven. This has been American Catholic History. If you enjoy American Catholic History, please become a supporter. We've got great perks for supporters, including exclusive content, books, mugs, and personal conversations. Get information on how to become a supporter and the perks at AmericanCatholicHistory.org slash support. Also on our website, sign up for our newsletter, learn more about Father Henry Duranquette, see about our pilgrimages, like our upcoming pilgrimage to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, and find other episodes that you might be interested in. We love getting your feedback and suggestions for episodes. You can email us at feedback at AmericanCatholicHistory.org, find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash AmericanCatholicHistory, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, made possible by listeners like you.